Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Pragmatic Investor. Today I am very excited to bring you this interview with Brad Thomas. He is the CEO of Wide Mode Research, which includes the brands iRate on Alpha, The Dividend Kings and Wide Mode Research. He is also the editor of the Forbes Real Estate Investor. Brad is an incredibly prolific essay author and he has over 108,000 followers. He is also the author of The Intelligent Rate Investor and he is also writing a new book, Rates for Dummies, which will be perfect for me. Now, I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Brad. He has so much experience when it comes to real estate and investing in REITs. Today, I got the chance to talk to him and ask him all sorts of questions about the real estate market, what kind of REIT sectors he's most excited about, which ones he's less excited about, how he thinks about REIT investing, how different investors should approach REITs, what are the fundamentals of investing in REITs, and so much more. I really enjoyed this conversation with Brad, and I hope you will too. If you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe to the podcast. Share, like, tell your friends, tell your brother, tell your mother, and please enjoy. All right, Brad, thank you so much for coming on. I wanted to know, when is the other shoe going to drop? Because for the last few months, everyone's been talking about the real estate market and how it's going to crash, and it hasn't quite happened. What are your thoughts? Well, that's a great question. And uh, of course, you know, media headlines today uh, indicate that commercial real estate is just going to be an apocalypse. And of course, as I remind readers almost every day now, James, is you just cannot paint the entire you know, real estate sector by one broad brush. You have to look at each individual property sector or subsector. And that's the great thing about investing in REITs because you can be tactical in your investments and look and allocate capital to those sectors where you are most comfortable or where you have the, I guess, the, 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 the best risk tolerance for those property sectors. So there is absolutely no question that the office sector is continuing uh, to have, have, have troubles. Uh, but even within the office sector, there are various subsectors uh, that aren't uh, aren't as bad. For example, medical office buildings. I mean, just the word office uh, itself is uh, sparks fear to many investors. Uh, but medical office buildings are, are very resilient um, properties and with very resilient uh, customers uh, that have to go to the doctor and have to go on a regular basis. And so, I think in terms of the broader market, uh, you know, there are some really terrific opportunities, especially in the REIT sector. And I know we'll get into it here in just a minute, and I can talk a little more detail about some of the uh, some of the some of the sectors or some of the REITs that we really think are very attractive right now. Awesome. So, would you say then that you see a bit of a divergence, maybe between commercial real estate being a little bit more in trouble, and then? the more uh, regular housing market, which we have seen hold up very well. And there's been a lot of talk about why that is, low inventories, uh, that those kind of dynamics. Yeah, I think obviously the, the, the root of the problem is cost of capital and specifically, you know, debt cost of capital. We, we, we've, we've never, I've never been in a period in my life where, and I'm an old guy, I've never been in a, in a, in a market or a cycle 
where interest rates have risen so rapidly. I don't think anybody was prepared for that. Uh, we knew interest yeah. rates were going to increase, and we, we were waiting and waiting for rates to rise. And finally, we get exactly what we've asked for. We get rates to increase, but so quickly. So that's impacted the balance sheets of a lot of real estate landlords. However, it's mostly in the private side that I'm most concerned about. You know, James, before I began writing on Seeking Alpha, I was a real estate developer for over 25 years. And uh, we took out loans, took out a lot of personal guarantees. I did a lot of bad deals. I did a lot, hopefully a few good deals. Uh, I got, got exposed to all types of property sectors. My, my, my favorite sector, of course, is the net lease sector. Um, think about Walgreens and CBS and Advanced Auto Parts, those companies. That's who I built for. And I uh, really like that sector. But, but again, going back to my career, I never witnessed a period where rates went up so quickly. And now we see the convergence of rate increases. But now the banks, the banks have come in and, and really tightened the screws on lending. If I were a developer today, I would be extremely concerned about my business. I'm not being able to you know, access capital, especially when, when loans mature. So we're going to see a substantial uh, wave of loan maturities uh, throughout pretty much every property sector. Um, James, I was just on the call 30 minutes ago with the CEO of Mid-America Partner Communities, and I, I can't remember the exact number, but it was, it was, it was amazing to see how many uh, loans are going to be maturing in the multifamily or apartment sector over the next 12 and 24 months. So I think now what we're seeing is this convergence of rates moving so quickly and debt maturities. Banks aren't in the market, but guess what? This is where the REITs are really becoming attractive right now because most of the REITs, at least the companies that we, we cover and we recommend, these, these swan sleep well at night REITs, these are the blue chip companies that have fortress balance sheets. Those companies are going to be able to capitalize on this, this, this big problem that's beginning to surface now, which are these private developers, the private equity markets. Now, they, they basically are getting cut off because of the access to their capital, their capital costs. So it's become it's making these REITs more and more and more attractive, especially those REITs that have uh, access to capital and low cost capital today. That's very interesting. You talk about these REITs having great opportunities. You've mentioned how they're more resilient and how we're going to get these troubles in the market. Does that do you think that will translate into the economy then? Do you see the economy kind of heading south in the next 12, 24 months as we see that weakening in real estate? Well, you know, again, it, 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 it's hard to say. Again, I'm, I'm going back to that broad brush. You know, it, it, it varies, you know, sector by sector. Um, you know, certainly like within the multifamily sector, we saw just an enormous run up in rents during uh, in the pandemic. In the apartment that I, I, I rent down in uh, West Palm Beach, the rent in my apartment went up 60 percent. And, I, you know, I had to renew the lease or, or find somewhere else. And there weren't many properties I could go to. I mean, so the, the landlords had significant pricing power in 2020 and 2021. Uh, now it's calmed back down. It's basically moving back into kind of the normal, you know, rent rental growth range. Um, but yet the market has kind of, as, as always, the market either overshoots or undershoots. And now we're seeing, you know, at least for these multifamily REITs, the market has, has undershot them. So we're, we're seeing significant value 
in that sector. But again, you look at other sectors, uh, another, another place we really like is the data centers. Um, they've also sold mm-hmm. off quite a bit. And again, fundamentals are extremely strong. Um, there's a lot of growth. Uh, the occupancy rates are, 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 are getting better and better. And so, but you have to go to each sector. Not every sector is, we don't think as attractive as, as other sectors. Um, self-storage is another place where there's tremendous pricing power. You know, self-storage leases are basically monthly leases. So as a landlord, you can increase those rents much more rapidly than you can say with a long-term uh, net lease. So again, I don't I don't like every property sector, but but we certainly mm-hmm. look at all the property sectors to try to scrape the va- the best value we can find within those within those sectors. Um, I think the media headlines are going to continue because on the private side, you're going to continue to see the headlines. They're going to be apartment complexes that are foreclosed. Of course, we all know malls are foreclosing. There's more and more uh, mall foreclosures. There's going to be a lot of office product hit the market with these debt maturities. And so those are the headline news, you know, uh, uh, headlines that we're going to see. But again, going back to the REIT space, these REITs are extremely capitalized. Again, I just spoke with the CEO of Mid-America Apartment Communities just 30 minutes ago. He's got a billion dollars uh, of capacity right now to execute. So they are going to be cherry picking for opportunities over the next 12 and 24 months. And I'm, I'm happy to be an investor in that company, by the way. I do own Mid-America. But those are where those opportunities are going to be. Yes, there's going to be uh, a lot of uh, stress in the commercial real estate market, but you want to be uh, equipped to um, to take advantage of those situations. And those are the REITs that we really want to allocate capital to that we know they can um, execute on a lot of this volatility. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense, especially, as you said before, with an environment that's changing so quickly, opportunities are going to arise. And it's important for us investors to capitalize on those. Now, to wrap up this kind of macro conversation, I did want to talk a little bit about the recent Fed meeting. And of course, we got that Fed pause or skip, as they like to call it. Now, I guess the, the simple headline is if the Fed is pausing and rates are going to go lower, perhaps that's good for REITs. What are your thoughts on, on the Fed policy and the, the outlook for interest rates? Sure. Well, again, I would just say anybody who owns REITs, you know, hang on, Um you know, I was hoping, and I think everybody was hoping to see more of a lift, uh, which obviously the number one catalyst is going to be a rate pause. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's coming sooner or later. Uh, obviously, this 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 is, uh, we're, we're, you know, the market's at least telling us, and actually Jerome Powell's telling us, not the market, uh, this week that we've got uh, additional, an additional increase. And I, I think he said increases, so probably one or two more uh, so I look at this maybe in the end of 23, maybe early 24, um, we will have, uh, you know, that event where officially will be falls. Now, the big question mark, of course, is recession. And uh, some some argue we're in a recession. Some argue that we'll be moving into recession. Some argue that we're not going to have a recession. Uh, and we have all the job numbers that everybody loves to, de- to debate over. Uh, but at the end of the day, we're preparing uh, our investments as if we are entering a mild recession. Um, that's the way we're playing this right now. And so what that means is I'm not chasing, uh, ca- I'm not putting capital in a lot of hotels right now. Hotels always, always underperform in mild recessions or, uh, you know, great recessions. 
Um, and so, you know, I think we look at these different property sectors and try to allocate capital around that, recognizing the biggest risk, I think, in the room right now is that potential recession. And what happens to these various property sectors, you know, during a recession? There are some uh, categories that are much more resilient uh, in, in recession periods and some aren't. So I think that's kind of how we're playing. And of course, you know, history, as history shows us, during recession, rates do, do come down. So if I had to pull open my crystal ball right now for you, James, I would say we've got another rate increase, uh, 25 basis points. We probably have maybe another increase, 25 basis points. And then, then we're going to have a pause. And then who knows? If that recession card comes into play, we're going to be prepared for it. And I think that's the best thing we can do is we advise our, our customers is just prepare for that recession. It may or may not come. We may be in one now. Perhaps we're in a uh, we're in a blue collar recession now. I mean, we're looking at some of the data points like the you know, rising credit card rates and the uh, rising subprime uh, industry rates. Uh, and, and so consumers are, are starting to be squeezed. And so we're looking very closely at that information to see exactly how is that going to translate, you know, into into uh, potential for recession. So um, it's an interesting time right now. But again, I think that the, the, the takeaway is, you know, be a landlord where you've got, you know, ability to uh, capitalize on, on this market that we're in right now. And James, I just finished an article. I haven't published it yet. I'm going to publish it the next day or two. But this article, I went back, I took a couple of, of the very high quality REITs. And I went back all the way to 2009, 2008, 2009. Mm-hmm. I looked at those companies and their balance sheets uh, back then and, and their earnings and to see how they navigated the Great Recession. And most REITs cut their dividend in 2008, 2009. There was only maybe a dozen or more, right. or maybe 13 or 14 that did. But I compared those companies, uh, those blue chip REITs to a current period. And companies like, for example, Realty Income had a triple B rating in 2009. Today, they've got an A minus rating. So what is that? And their payout ratio was, was lower today, much lower today than it was in 2009. So what that tells me is this company is extremely well prepared to mitigate, to navigate uh, this risk that's in front of us, which most likely is recession risk that's looming. Mm, absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And it's a point you've made already talking about the swans. And I think I heard someone say once the best investment you can make is one that allows you to sleep at night. And we do have that that risk coming on. You talk about two rate hikes. I think that that would surprise a lot of people. Um, it's not unprecedented. We have seen, you know, the Bank of England, I believe, go back to doing some rate hikes. So like you say, there's there's definitely that risk there. And, you know, it's important to be prepared and have your investments aligned with that. Now, moving on from the macro, I would I would like to take things back to fundamentals. How do you think about rate investing? Um, what do you see as a good rate, a bad rate? How do you how do you go about just investing in rates? Just take us back to the to the basics. Yeah. So, you know, I think it really comes down to Again, you, you mentioned it fundamentals. I mean, whether it's whether it's a you know real estate stock or an ordinary stock, I mean the thing the main thing our team does is we focus on underlying fundamentals and earnings growth. You know, earnings is really the best indicator that we have in terms of how we value these companies. Um, you know, a company that can consistently increase their earnings and their dividends uh, and grow their earnings and their dividends uh, is going to be a successful company. At some point, you know, you've obviously got to buy those companies at a margin of safety. And that's really what we do is the simplicity of our business model is we focus on on the quality 
of the business model, the quality of those earnings. And how do you define quality of earnings? Again, it, it goes down to their underlying in the REIT space and look at their underlying rent checks. So who, who is actually providing, you know, sending the rent checks in? Um, what's the quality of that operator or that tenant? Um, we look at the, uh, the, the length of those leases, the ability at the pricing power, the, the ability of the landlord to increase those rental um, streams. And then we look at that underlying capital stack, uh, how much debt, how much equity preferred. Um, and then within that, within their debt, you know, how is their cost of capital on a debt side and on an equity side? So we, you take the sum of those parts. And the most important thing is to look at the return on invested capital. We want to see what that company uh, is investing in and how accretive are those investments uh, to the earning stream. And, and that is, that's the key for us. So when analyzing these companies, it's a lot of work. You have to really look, look, you know, look under the hood and see exactly what's in there. And then once we analyze that company, we feel like we've got a really, really good grasp on the, on the business model. Then we look at the management. And that's probably one thing that I do more than anybody else that I know is we spend an awful lot of time with management. I was on the phone today with two CEO interviews. I've got one later today. Alexandria came out with a big short yesterday. We're long Alexandria. And uh, I'm really anxious to hear the CEO talk about this short of yesterday. And quite frankly, James, we've done pretty good with these shorts. I mean, I'll tell you, it's uh, we've got some right now. Digital Realty is one that we're looking at. Very, we just I just published an article on them recently. Of course, we've been covering medical property trust in great detail. But again, at the end of the day, we look at those, we study those companies in detail. We make sure we know all of those risks uh, that are there, uh, or at least try to uh, understand the risks uh, that are there. And it's been a pretty successful uh, plan for us, uh, you know. And I'm, I'm really excited for our team. We've got now uh, uh, eight different uh, analysts working across all different uh, sectors. All of us are income oriented, so whether it's a REIT, a BDC, uh, MLP, or ordinary C corporation, uh, we look for companies that that grow that income. Income growth is is really paramount to our business model. Mm-hmm. That that makes a lot of sense and. As someone who isn't so invested in REITs, I do like the appeal of, as you say, that you know you can really get to know the business model and kind of systematize that idea of the cash flows, of course, and, and dividends. Did you mention that you are shorting some REITs? Did I hear that correctly? No, I'm not. I, uh, I I'm I'm defending, uh, or I should say, debunking a couple of the shorts that are out there. And again, I'm I'm not. Right. I, I will say this because this is probably an important point is. You know, we try to look at all the all the short research, um, and some of it, it we find maybe there may be some things that we miss that, that these other uh, short sellers um, haven't. You know that we're, you know we can be more informed that way. So uh, we really try to analyze these companies and try to take an almost really an unbiased position of what are they saying. And um, you know, there's there's some really good there's some good arguments out there that. Um, and, and look, right now within the REIT sector, it's, it's really kind of the perfect storm for the shorts because you have, again, the high interest rates uh, you've got that have been moved up so quickly. You've got a lot of volatility in the marketplace and um, and, and these headlines, you know, that, uh, that we're seeing. And again, most of those we're seeing are on the private side, but that's created that volatility and the short sellers really love to love that volatility. So, but again, that volatility is really the opportunity I really want to point out one we, we call pretty well is Arbor Realty Trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're up about 40% since the bottom of that short 
was called. I interviewed, again, the CEO yesterday. We talked about it a little bit. Uh, they did buy back stock during that short uh, short report. Uh, that, as the CEO told me, they wanted to buy more than they could, but they were in a blackout period. Uh, but again, that that's created a great opportunity for us. So, um, uh, you know, I, I really enjoy to look at these short articles. I think, you know, if, if we really are are uh, bullish in in the in the name, you know, it's an opportunity for us to buy more shares or recommend uh, to our to our readers or to our subscribers to buy more. So, uh, I, I think we do we we do a lot of research in these companies, and I think that you know ultimately that pays off. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I, I know a lot of investors nowadays are you know very interested in those what they call short squeezes. So, you know, maybe one of these rates can be the next GameStop. Now. I'm very curious because you, you've mentioned you talked to a lot of CEOs and of course the human element is very important with investing, something something that is often overlooked. Is there, Has there ever been a situation where you analyze a company, you felt that it was a very good company and then you were kind of put off by the management? Now, feel free to say as much or as little as you want on this. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I mean, you know, look, I, I was telling somebody this morning, real estate's an interesting business. I mean, again, I was I've been doing this for 30 years. Uh, built a lot of buildings and, and you know, created some some pretty significant wealth in real estate. But I didn't do that through just the property. I did it through the people. You know, deals get done with people. Mm-hmm. You know, that's as end of the day, that's the people are what makes the property uh, valuable. So we certainly think the people are important and especially the people that are running these REITs. So again, that's why I spend an exhaustive amount of time uh, meeting with these management teams. I have many CEOs on speed dial that didn't mean they'll take my call, but hopefully they'll they'll call me back at some point. And um, but yeah, people are important, and you need to make sure that that man these management teams are aligned, you know, with investors. So we obviously look at those things like you know uh, have inside ownership. Um, um, you know, um, you know, G and A is extremely important. We want to make sure that we're not overpaying this management team and. Um, um, that they're, you know, executing on that business model. Again, at the end of the day, we want to see them grow earnings. And if they're not growing earnings, then we've got a problem. And we need to figure out how that, you know, what, what's wrong with that, what's wrong with this company. And, and uh, again, there's a, there's a lot of companies that are, that are constrained with their cost of capital. Again, these are the lower quality companies uh, that are out there that have higher leverage. I mean, those are the companies that I'm really more concerned with. And I really try to advise investors to, uh, either stay away from those companies or recognize that they're they're highly speculative in in nature, um, but I guess you know you're right. I mean the the people are really important, and uh, we look at the board members. We want to make sure that there's diversity uh, within the board. That the board is providing value and contributing. Uh, there was there was an article we just wrote on digital realty, and they have they've had some turnover not only within their uh, management uh, organization but also within their board, and um, you know kind of. We've talked to a lot of people about the company, and you know I think um, they needed some new fresh management. Um, we think it's very positive that uh, they've they've uh, created, excuse me, a more rounded uh, board. And so I think that's really that's an important thing. We do spend an awful lot of time on the, on the people part of it, not just the property part of it. But again, that's what pays off for us. And uh, and honestly, having these mm-hmm. interviews, lots of times, James, I'll learn more from an interview not only may, maybe specifically about that company, but maybe a competitor, or maybe it's just a broader, you know, macroeconomic uh, thing that, that I, I pick up that could help us uh, with our, with our, with our uh, recommendation. 
So I think it's not just that, you know, when the questions I asked aren't just softballs. I try to go in and really go into the weeds of the company, but also see if there are some, some clues that are going to help us uh, understand the company better and the motivations of that management team. So, um, you know, again, that that's become a really important part of our coverage spectrum. And, um, you know, I call it the, uh, you know, the horse and the jockey. I mean, you, you want to be able, when you're investing in the company, you're betting on the company, you have to under, bet on both the jockey and the horse. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I have to say it's great that you're in this privileged position where you can get to talk to these CEOs and really, really get that inside scoop in the company. Now, I wanted to go back to talking a bit about different sectors in the right space. You've mentioned a couple already, healthcare, you mentioned data centers. Uh, what are the kind of winners and losers you see? What, what are the sectors you're interested in, others that you don't think will benefit so much in the coming years? Yeah. So, you know, so far this year, healthcare has done pretty well. Healthcare is up about 21% year to date. Single family rentals is also another sector that's been doing really well. Obviously, that there's been a catalyst here. Again, going back to the uh, rising rate environment, that, that in effect has forced a lot of uh, potential homeowners into becoming renters. And so that single family rental sector has done pretty well. Uh, data centers are up this year. Um, again, they're still relatively cheap. Um, there's only two data center REITs now that are, we call pure play data center REITs, Digital Realty and, and, uh, and Equinix. Um, there's Air Iron Mountain, which is not a pure play yet. Uh, they're, they're moving closer to become more of a data center REIT. But unfortunately, we've lost three data center REITs. Two went private, Cyrus One and uh, QTS. They were both sold out to private equity firms. And then the third one um, uh, was um, Corsite. And they got acquired by uh, American Tower, which is really a tactical bolt-on acquisition for American Tower. So we like that that sector. And the technology space is really interesting. So when we talk about real estate and technology, Mm -hmm. um, we primarily are talking about three different sectors, data centers, cell towers, and warehouses or logistics. Those are connected. We call them the the technology trifecta. And so it's like three legs to the stool. Uh, they They all work together. They all, uh, you know, get get goods purchased through e-commerce and get them shipped to the house. And, and so all of that, you know, you can see that works together. Now, that's where you're going to see the growth. And that's where we've allocated more capital to all of those sectors because of that technology. What's really interesting too, James, I just finished my book, Reach for Dummies. I'll have that published this summer. And I actually decided to uh, spend some time utilizing it, uh, going more into the weeds on prop tech. You know, the prop tech sector is really interesting. And um, as property and technology combined, even on this right, interview, right. for example, I just had with uh, MidAmerica CEO this morning, uh, he was talking about how his company is going to move the needle with the technology enhancements that this company, this REIT has. Uh, and they're actually going to be able to lower their G&A costs because they're utilizing more and more technology to run their business and make it more efficient. So I think the efficiencies we're seeing in technology and property is really amazing. And um, actually with the dummies, I don't know if you've ever seen a dummies book, but you can use icons. So we created our own prop tech icons. Every time I write about her, uh, a prop tech within those categories, um, I will uh, use it. So anyway, I like I like those technology plays. So data center, industrial, self-storage. Self-storage in itself is a prop tech business. I mean, we don't, we don't now... Um, you know, find the self-storage, you know, uh, properties from the yellow pages. We did that maybe 10 years ago, but now we, we utilize all of the um, online and all of the technology uh, channels 
to to really drive those businesses. So um, I guess some of the sectors that have really been beaten down, and I mentioned the office sector. I mean, we're down about 18% year to date. Um, you know, I'm really concerned about the, the gateway markets. I mean, San Francisco is just a mess. Uh, you know, I was there uh, speaking at a conference mm-hmm. last year and just was really amazed at, uh, at how bad it really is. I'm sure it's gotten worse since I was there. Uh, so we're kind of avoiding all of that New York, uh, San Francisco type markets. We like the Sunbelt. Of course, uh, you and I right now are both located in the Sunbelt. You're in Florida. I'm in South Carolina. And uh, companies like Highwoods Property Trust, is a really good example of a company that has a really strong exposure. By the way, Highwoods was the only REIT in 2008 and 9 that did not cut the only office REIT that did not cut the dividend. So uh, there are certain categories within office. Cannabis has just been beaten down. Obviously, there's a lot of political uh, politics behind cannabis um, and um, and potentially recession could be a problem uh, with cannabis. But they're down about 16, 17% year to date. Cell Towers are also down about 13% year-to-date. We like both of those companies, both American Tower and Crown Castle. Uh, net lease sector is just good old steady, Eddie, reliable dividend payers. Right now, again, they've sold off companies like Agree, which is very high quality, net lease REIT, Realty Income, and Vici Properties. Uh, those are all three very solid net lease REITs. There are some others, uh, but again, I think that's a category we really like. I think there'll be some M&A in the net lease sector. There's way too many. I think there's 15 or 16 varieties or types of net lease REITs. So I think you'll see M&A. Again, I'm avoiding lodging. Malls is a decent space. The only mall player I really like is Simon. I wouldn't own anything else. Uh, the good thing is we called all of the uh, uh, um, uh, Washington Prime, CBL, Pennsylvania REIT. Um, before the recession, we had all, we had sales on all of those. And uh, hopefully we got some people out of trouble. Um, you know, so again, the great thing about REITs is we have all of these different categories and we can we can model or build your portfolio around your own risk tolerance. And so that's that's really what's exciting about REITs. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great that they give you that flexibility. And you've talked a bit about tech and REITs, data centers. Of course, that's kind of the topic to jaw today with this kind of big AI revolution. Is that something that we can play in REITs? Is how do you have any thoughts on how AI is, is affecting the the REIT space? Absolutely. You know, I was at an investor conference last week in Re- in New York, and I met with the CEO of Digital Realty. Uh, actually, he's a fairly new CEO, uh, or his role is is new to the company, uh, Andy Power. And um, you know, he talked about AI, and actually wrote an article about this. And quoting him, you know, an AI tie lifts all ships. And so AI is going to be incredibly, it's the backbone for AI, you know, much like uh, data centers, the back backbone for crypto. My son is a big crypto NFT guy, and I don't know why, but uh, he loves it and that's fine. <laughs> but but I, I remind him that being a virtual landlord is not owning NFTs. Being a virtual landlord is owning a data center. And because without data right. centers, there would be no NFT, there would be no crypto, there would be no AI. Um, everything is st- stored in the, in the cloud. And, and back to digital realty, because again, I'm, I'm very bullish this company right now. They've got a tremendous development pipeline of about $2 billion. Um, the, they've got over 50% pre-leasing. In certain markets that are 100% pre-leased, these hyperscalers, uh, they go in and lease the whole entire building out. Um, so that development pipeline is going to pay dividends way down the road for this company. So we, we you know, the question with digital realty goes back to their, their capital and make sure they've got plenty of capital, their dividends covered. And we've debunked all of that in our article. So you can go read that. I don't have to go uh, under your podcast doing this, but 
Um, but we like the data center space and the cell tower space. We think there's significant opportunity there. That's where your growth is. But right now you see value. And when you see a combination of growth mm-hmm. and value, you really be, need to be looking at those companies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. Now, I'm curious to know, because you mentioned the cannabis sector. I recently had a fellow SA contributor on the podcast, uh, Julian Lin. We talked a bit about the cannabis sector. That's the area where he specializes. And like you say, it's been beaten down. Uh, do you see opportunities there? Yeah, I do. Um, you know, we have, we, and actually we called this pretty well. We had a dividend cut yesterday with uh, AFC Gamma. Uh, we had a sell recommendation months and months ago. And of course we knew this was coming. So they, they guess what? They cut their dividend. Um, that's a mortgage REIT. Um, they've actually are trying to pivot out of can- cannabis a little bit into some other sectors. Uh, we've met with the management team there, not very impressed. Uh, and we, may, we pointed that out. Um, I will say, um, you know, there's basically two, two or three players out there um, that, that most people are familiar with innovative industrial. They, have, they were the first mover, first mover advantage. They're the only New York Stock Exchange um, listed cannabis REIT. They got in just before the election, uh, I guess in 2016, and uh, that allowed them to, to get in and, and kind of before the window closed for new, at least New York Stock Exchange listed companies. So they have one, I guess, I won't call it a competitive advantage. It's more of a strategic advantage they have because they have that New York Stock Exchange listing. They do have very high quality companies. And, and I will say the management team has done a pretty good job there's been a number of, not a number, but there's been several defaults, operator defaults in the sector. These aren't investment grade t- companies. And what I remind people is, look, you know, when you're going to get a company that 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 uh, lends money out um, mm-hmm. at a you know 12 and 13 percent coupon, uh, in other words, any company that's going to you know that's going to uh, have that has to borrow at you know 11, 12, or 13 percent, that's a pretty high risk company, you know. And so, Mr. Investor, you need to be prepared for the risk, uh, you, you know, with these companies, just like I invest in another company called One Main Financial, which is a consumer credit company. They lend money out at 30 and 40 and maybe 50 percent. I don't know. They get around the usury laws. But I knew going in that One Main Financial was a higher risk company. Uh, and, and uh, we, we, you know, it's, it all comes down to managing defaults. You're going to have defaults. IRP, you're going to have defaults. Uh, one main, you're going to have defaults. And by the way, Sachem Capital, which is another higher higher yielding uh, mortgage REIT uh, that lends to you know companies at 12, 13 percent, you're going to have defaults when you have when you lend money at those kind of uh, rates. So the real thing with being a landlord is how do you how do you mitigate those those losses or those defaults? And thus far, I will say. IAPR has done, done a pretty good job with that. They've been able to still continue to grow their earnings and their dividend. So we like that company. New Lake is kind of a smaller version of that. The only problem is they don't have the New York Stock Exchange listing. They have a NASDAQ listing. Uh, I would like to see those companies combine at some point. They, they should. Uh, but anyway, we'll leave that up to the management teams and those board of directors. The other one I like a lot, which a lot of people don't really know about, is called Chicago Atlantic. I don't know how they came up with the name. Mm-hmm. Interviewed that CEO quite a bit. Um, need to, I need to again. Their ticker symbol is called Refi, R E F I, and they're a mortgage REIT, very similar to New Lake. They invest in, in some of the higher quality cannabis properties, and they they've had a, they've done a pretty good job as well. So I don't know. There may be a combination. I could see a combination. Maybe New Lake and um, and Refi maybe could combine. New Lake would then move over from their over the counter. 
Um, um, by the way, I think I said they were NASDAQ. So I, I want to back up. They're actually not NASDAQ. New Lake is over the counter mm-hmm. and refi yeah. is NASDAQ. So I could see a potential merger of New Lake and refi, but then New Lake would, would, would fall into that NASDAQ listing, which, which would give them mm-hmm. a little more liquidity they have now with the over the counter listing. So at any rate, that's kind of how I'd sum up the, the cannabis sector. It is a higher risk sector. There are defaults. It's all the game is all about how you how you're going to mitigate those potential defaults and still continue to pay out dividends that that aren't being cut. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned New Lake. That was the uh, the stock that um, Julian recommended. So happy that you mentioned that and that that potential for that for that particular company. Now I wanted to know a little bit more about how you go about investing in REITs, building a portfolio, and. If you ever invest in REITs globally, because we've talked about, you know, you've mentioned like different areas in the U.S. that you're more interested or less interested in. Do you think about uh, REITs globally, like in different countries? And do you invest in different geographies as well? Great. Well, James, I, I hate always I don't want to uh, maybe it's time for a commercial. So I just I just mentioned my new book, The Reach for Dummies, and I dedicated an entire <laughs> chapter uh, to my book on, on global REIT investing. Um this book is actually going to have global exposure. You know, my, my, my publisher, Wiley, uh, has, uh, has tentacles all over the world. And so, you know, really, I wrote this book, you know, to, to read dummies all over the world. And there, there are many. I'm still a, a read dummy, by the way. Um, but I uh, don't want to offend anybody. But uh, that was really an interesting chapter to write. And, and looking at all the countries, we went into, you know, every country that has read-like read laws, and it's significant. There's about 40 different countries, all the G7s. You know, Canada is a real interesting place. There's a lot of Seeking Alpha readers and investors in Canada. An interesting uh, uh, point with the Canadian REITs is that most all of the Canadian REITs do pay monthly dividends. And digging into that, we found out that most of the institutional investors in Canada, they prefer the private market. They like doing their own deals and investing in the private side. I don't know why, but that's the case. Uh, but whereas, so it's mostly a retail-centric market in Canada, so it, it makes sense that that those retail those REITs are paying out monthly dividends. So Canada is a really good market. Uh, only about ten percent of the market, the size of the U.S., a much smaller uh, market capitalization. Obviously, the U.S. is a dominant market. There are a number of REITs in Europe. We went into all those countries: France and Spain and Germany. And uh, you know, China is an interesting market. You know, I don't know if you know this. This is another interesting point. Uh, the Chinese REITs, they're all single property REITs. So when you invest in a Chinese REIT, uh, this really still not regulated yet. But if you invest in a Chinese REIT, it's just one property. So there's very no diversification. So they've got a long way to go in China. Japan is much more advanced in terms of their, their REIT model. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's been a fun chapter to write. Of course, for the individual investor, and we wrote about this in another chapter, James, on ETFs, because there's been an extremely high interest in REIT ETFs. So I don't know if you know this, but uh, I have launched my own REIT ETF index and we'll actually have the ETF hopefully in the market this summer along with the book. Um, but but the reason you can invest in globally, I would recommend is because there's no way that any investor, most investors on Seeking Alpha can really understand any of those markets and understand those properties and those people uh, that run those companies. So I suggest a um, a a uh, ETF and Vanguard has a really good uh, e- mm-hmm. international ETF if you want to get exposure. Now, finally, a lot of the U.S. 
REITs invest outside of the U.S. Companies like Realty Income, for example, or Ventos, uh, Mega Healthcare Investors, WP Carey, who I wrote on today. Uh, hopefully that article's trending. Um, but a number of these companies, they invest in internationally. So you can get exposure mm-hmm. you know, internationally without going outside into another ticker symbol and stay that stay within the U.S. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, I'm also I'm looking forward to reading the your book. And once I know a bit more, perhaps even dipping my feet into the uh, Brad Thomas REIT ETF. Now, with that said, I wanted to also get a bit more of a sense of um, how you think about REIT investing within a portfolio and for different investors. I saw you had a fairly recent article talking about REITs you would buy in your 20s, I believe. So I'm just heading into my 30s and I'm looking at REITs and stuff. Um, what, what would your advice be in terms of investing in REITs for, for different types of investors? Because I get the sense sometimes that REITs may be a more for uh, more retirement focused investors, but I guess that's not necessarily the case, right? Interesting. Uh, I just posted something on Twitter today. This is a Will Rogers quote. Don't wait to buy real estate, buy real estate and wait. And that mm. that that could obviously apply to REITs, right? And so, look, now's a good time. You're in your 30s. That's a great part of life, by the way. And uh, wait, great time of life. I, I just, uh, I've got five kids and a grandkid now who's one years old and Time flies. All I can tell you is you don't really think about it until uh, you get older. And uh, but but look, start right now and start investing in REITs. And again, don't don't speculate. Obviously, when you're younger, just like with my son, my son's twenty something. Uh, you know, he can he can afford to take some losses. And uh, you know, I've, actually, I like it that he's investing in crypto and NFT because he's going to learn the difference between an investment <laughs> and speculation. Frankly, I did too. I mean, I made some really stupid stupid decisions. I didn't have an NFT back in my in my twenties, but I had some some things that were very similar to NFTs. I invested in some some land uh, with no no rent check and you know borrowed money. Had to make big loan payments with no income coming in, and and you know got to learn those lessons in life. So I would say you know put it on cruise control. Start if you invest in REITs, you're not only going to you're not only going to sleep well at night, you're going to make money while you're sleeping at night, and that's the great thing. And but you've got to make sure that you know you, you understand those businesses and, and and building out a diversified portfolio. Don't put all those eggs in one basket and just think, hey, I'm gonna make I'm gonna win big on this one company, you know, like Vici is in the gaming sector. I'm gonna put everything in Vici because they're own a bunch of casinos and I'm gonna make it rich. You know, look, I mean, there's very few home run heroes here, right? And I think the, the way we look at it is you should allocate capital, diversify is the key, um, and just start allocating capital, you know, throughout these different sectors and build a blueprint. The first way to get started is build a build a portfolio out. And this is this is my blueprint, and then stick with that blueprint. The biggest thing I see with with investors today, and, and I really I'm speaking to myself as well, is discipline. You've got to maintain discipline. Make sure every week allocate a certain amount of capital and put it into REITs and then put it into utilities and put it into, you know, ordinary stocks, uh, C-Corps and BDCs and build that, whatever your portfolio has, be disciplined with that portfolio. Just like when I go to the gym every morning, I wake up at five o'clock. I spend an hour at the gym every day. I I make myself do it. It's actually fun now. I mean, I really feel like it's fun because you start to see those dividends. And so, you know, that's really my best advice is to and, and focus on quality. You know, don't don't uh, you know don't try to market time. 
Uh, I know there's a lot of tempting companies. You can see on Seeking Alpha that are yielding 12 and 13 and 14 percent. And I'll tell you, this high yield will get you in trouble. Just you know, stay disciplined, stay focused, and focus on quality companies with quality earnings. Mm-hmm. I think that's great advice for anyone listening. And now, before we wrap up, you talked a little bit about your own past. Uh, I'd love to know a bit more about how you got started. I was looking at your Seeking Alpha profile. You do talk a bit about you know, making a good chunk of change, you know, and then kind of going to that great recession and then going on to build, you know, such a such an impressive uh, presence on the internet on Seeking Alpha. So I'd just love to you know a little bit more about that. Sure. So, you know, I, I when I got out of college, I always wanted to get into real estate and I thought about going to Wall Street, actually. I, you know, I thought about, you know, moving up to New York and getting a job as a stockbroker. Uh, but I always had that real estate blood in me. My, my grandfather, my mother, uh, we're all in real estate and, uh, you know, it, it was around me a lot. And I was just, that was a business I knew. Um, and so I started as developer. I went to work with the developer and we became business partners. And the great thing about this first job I had was he owned a lot of land and it exposed me to all types of real estate, just like in REITs. So I built shopping centers and warehouses and my, my business partner even built a golf course and hotels you know, so I saw value creation from the ground up. I saw how to how to actually, you know, take take a raw piece of land uh, and and hire the right people and take that blueprint and build something that could create value and jobs and income. And uh, you know, I'm, I've always just been so fascinated with with real estate. So that that happened for about 20 years. I went through some some cycles. There were some some uh, recessions I went through and and really unscathed. I, I think I picked some of the right you know, categories to develop. I, again, I built a lot of freestanding um, properties. One of my one of my main clients was Advanced Auto Parts, which is essentially kind of a recession company, recession-proof company. So um, O'Reilly Auto Parts. Uh, I did have some some deals that didn't work out. I mean, I, I built for Blockbuster Video. Fortunately, I got out before you know before they before they ended. Much like my 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 bearish article this week on EPR properties in the theater sector. You know, I've lived through uh, a, a similar cycle, and um, you know, I think it's it's extremely just dis- been disruptive with the technology. I'm referring to Netflix, for example. So, you know, I try to learn from those experiences, and um, and so when when um, you know we were kind of in the 2005 and six you know area, um, my business partner decided to build a pretty large hotel, which was uh, you know 40 or 50 million dollar deal. Um, here in this town, it's about five miles down the, the road here. And I, you know, I was not involved in that financially, um, but we were involved in quite a few partnerships. Um, to fast forward that, uh, he ended up losing the, he got it built um, and he ended up losing the property and basically took the whole ship down with him, uh, which it was me. And a lot of others were impacted. And so um, a lot of my investments with him were were uh, were ended up you know going to zero and uh, and again it goes back to that people and property I mean I you know um, I've got this I've got this mantra that I, I like to use uh, and it's it's uh, uh, you can remember the A and B avoid negative people and I just now you know I don't have to I can be selective now and in, in mm-hmm. what type of partnerships I get into and what types of properties I buy and what kind of REITs I'm going to buy. Um, I'm, I'm just a lot more thoughtful 
to you know where I allocate capital because when you lose capital and you go through these these really uh, um, adverse times, uh, it, it really uh, it, it changes your life. And so this you know then the recession you know kind of piled in on the Great Recession, which frankly led me to seeking alpha because at the time again I was in real estate and really had to start all over again. Um, you know five five young kids at the time. And so I landed on Seeking Alpha um, and, um, you know, it's been a great platform and it continues to be a you know, great platform. I'm, I'm really I'm honored to have more, more followers than anybody on Seeking Alpha. And, um, you know, I've worked hard for that, for that, for that role. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's a great place to contribute. And I love interacting with other people and helping other people and they help, help me as well. Um, and, uh, I've got this saying, you know, the most durable education is self-education. So I've learned a lot, uh, with other people, hopefully other people have learned a lot from, from me. And I'm, I'm happy to be the author of the Reap for Dummies book. I'm really excited to get this, this book out and hopefully everybody on Seeking Alpha will get a copy of it. And, uh, you know, but it's been a great story. It's been a great run. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward for, you know, to another 10 years uh, of work here. Absolutely. Well, Brad, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Like I told you before, you're, you're a real institution to see, in Seeking Alpha. It wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that your face is oftentimes one of the first that I see when I wake up in the morning as I browse through the Seeking Alpha landing page. So again, thank you so much for coming on. And I really hope we can do this again sometime. Likewise, it's good to see you and uh, have a great weekend and, and uh, h- happy to be back on again. All right. Bye-bye, everyone. Thanks again, Brad. Thank you. Once again, everyone, thanks for listening to The Pragmatic Investor. If you aren't already, please go ahead and follow me on YouTube, Spotify, or wherever it is that you're listening to the podcast. And remember that if you'd like more content on investing, I do a lot more on Seeking Alpha. You can find me there, James Ford, The Pragmatic Investor, where I cover crypto, the macro outlook, international stocks, and so much more.